Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach and you're listening to this, I know you've got a growth mindset. And if you want to get better, then Stick and Ball TV is just for you. There are hundreds of videos already on the site and updated weekly, and chances are it will have exactly what you're looking for this time of year. Go to stickandball.tv or check it out on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. Today's podcast is sponsored by What About Baseball? It's no secret that we live in a world with constant electronic distractions. Families are spending less time together and kids often can't look up from their devices. But What About Baseball is here to help. What About Baseball is a family-owned, baseball-centric business whose focus is on providing the best baseball toys, games, and accessories to bring friends and family back together to bond over the great sport of baseball. Starting with their best-selling classic edition board game, What About Baseball offers fun and exciting gameplay for fans at all levels, from beginner to expert. And whether or not you want to teach someone the basics of counting balls and strikes, or whether you want to decide whether to suicide squeeze, What About Baseball's Classic Edition board game is a proven winner and has the reviews to prove it. Even better, it's made right here in the USA. What About Baseball would like to reward Ahead of the Curve listeners with 20% off of their best-selling board game and free shipping. Go to whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve to get your special offer. Once again, that's whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve. Today we have on Eric Borba, head baseball coach at Orange Lutheran High School. Eric is currently in his 13th year after leaving a very successful program at De La Salle, where he was the head coach from 2004 to 2008. And over the last 13 years, Borbs has proven himself to be one of the elite coaches and programs in high school baseball. He has also been a frequent coach for several teams for Team USA. And so on the show, we discuss the standards that it takes to be a player and a coach at Orange Lutheran, and we dig heavily into player development. You're going to love this episode with Eric Borba. Borbs, welcome to the show. Jonathan, thanks for having me. Really uh, been a fan of this podcast for a long time, so it's exciting to be a part of it now. Oh, absolutely. And I've, you know, I'm really excited to get to learn from you today. And I don't know that, that you run a, a really good program at Orange Lutheran. And I know that you've, you've been in a, a couple different places. And I just, you know, I, I haven't ever gotten to dig in with you personally. And so I, I know we've had some different conversations, but I'm really glad to go in depth with you today. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, the vision and what that looked like for you at Orange Lutheran. You mentioned off the mic that this is your 13th year, which is crazy to think. But uh, if we could rewind, you know, back to year one, what did the vision look like for you? And I guess, you know, we could say what what were your what was your first first steps or like your first 100 day plan? Yeah, well, you know, first off, I got hired to be a head coach when I was 23 years old. And and looking back, I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, you know, I always knew I wanted to coach through college and and getting thrown into that position. I mean, I put my name in the hat for, for a position at Annalee High School, a small public school in Northern California. And it was like, here we go. And I never really had a chance to really map things out. So I didn't have much of a vision. I was there five years. Um, ended up getting hired at De La Salle High School in Northern California. And to be honest, you know, being still young in my 20s, mid 20s, um, I, I really didn't have much of one. And about two or three years into my job at De La Salle, I was like, man, there's so many things that I wish I could start over and do. 
And once you get the, you know, once you get it rolling, it's tough to go back and, and start over with things. I mean, I think you can constantly, um, you know, adjust, but to go back and actually change some things can be tough because families and players and your coaching staff is bought into what's already going on. So to go back and change. So when I got hired at Orange Lutheran in 2008, you know, I really had some experience. I had some um, times throughout my first seven, eight years of coaching where, where I thought, hey, you know, if I ever take over another program, there's some things that I really need to lay down the law from in, in the, from the beginning. And I think, you know, being a teacher as well, it helped me because I was always told as a teacher, like you, you have to set the tone of the classroom right away, you know, how kids are going to act and what, what that environment's going to look like because you can never reel them in. It's a lot easier to kind of let go of the ropes than it is to pull them tighter. And so um, in 2008, I really, I really had that opportunity. And, uh, you know, I really came into a program that had been established um, you know, uh, by playing in the Trinity League, Garrett Cole was here. So they had kind of made a, an appearance on, you know, the national scene, if you will, when I got here um, and didn't know a whole lot about the internal piece of the program. But I knew that I wanted to set a foundation that really was going to be built for the long term. Um, winning is always a priority, but uh, I realized that if I truly wanted to coach for the rest of my life, I wanted to create something that was going to just carry on that, you know, we were going to establish, um, you know, a, a foundation, a framework, if you will, that is just going to carry over. And the best programs in the country, whether it be high school or college, you know, even professional sports, they're built on foundation. It's like, it just seems like the traditions and, and, and the things that they do carry on from one year to the next. And I think as a head coach, it, it was my responsibility to kind of lay these and and really to um, outline a vision that I could communicate, communicate to assistant coaches, communicate to players, families, the administration of the school, and really make sure everybody was on board and, you know, really not veering off of that path, if you will. So, you know, really, I wanted to create a place where young men wanted to play, obviously wanted to play baseball because it was a it was a great place for them, them to learn and grow. And, and also where families could trust that their sons were, uh, you know, going to be in good hands, that they were turning them over, not just to baseball coaches, that were going to make them better ballplayers, that, but that were ultimately going to prepare them for life and really make them better men on and off the field. So, you know, when you, when you get down into it, the first steps of doing that was really the communication piece. You know, I outlined everything from how I wanted our players to dress to how we were going to treat people how we were going to be present in the community and how we were going to do that and really create that identity that when, you know, players were wearing the, the Lutheran L or the cross that we wear on the back of our hats, you know, that they were representing our program and what was that going to look like? And really it was all built on love, trust, and communication. And uh, we wanted that, you know, everywhere we went, it was, it was, it was immediate that we were going to be a, a program that, Although we are in the um, national eye, we're in the scouting eye, whatever you want to call it, our, our players are exposed, you know, that we were going to be a program that was built on family foundations, that, that family principles, and, you know, that kids were going to buy into what we were about, and it wasn't just going to be a platform um, for them to get to the next level. It was going to be life-changing, life-developing, whatever, whatever that piece is, however you want to define that. 
to really prepare kids to go on and be, um, you know, successful off the field. Obviously, the, the success on the field speaks for itself. We're going to prepare players for that. But really, ultimately, these kids are going to be fathers. They're going to be, you know, leaders, whatever it might be. And we need to prepare them for what God's going to present them in their future and prepare, prepare them for life. So that was the external kind of piece, if you will. You know, on the, on the field, I had to create a vision on how are we actually going to complete, compete. Playing in the Trinity League, we have, you know, six of the best baseball programs in the country. If you ask me, it's the toughest program or toughest league in the country. And so how was I going to get an advantage? You know, most of us are, are somewhat centrally located here in Southern California and Orange County. So we comp compete for the same players. Um, you know, and, and in today's day and age for the last 15 years or so, families are looking at programs, you know, for a place where their kids can grow and be seen. And so what were we going to do? What kind of an environment were we going to create to, um, you know, attract kids, attract families ultimately. So again, that vision was going to be based on exactly how we were going to create an environment, um, that, that was attractive to those, those families. And with that, you know, I wanted to be the best at everything. I'm probably the most competitive guy you've ever met. And, you know, I'm a big believer that your players and your athletes follow your coach's lead. So we're going to compete in everything that we do. Um, and I want to be the best at everything we do, whether it be, you know, how we act in the classroom, how we treat teachers, maybe it's picking up trash at lunch, um, who we are on campus, who we are in the community. Um, we're going to do, you know, be involved and, and help with community service projects, um, you know, and, and, and really that was the biggest piece for me. You're not just going to be a great baseball player. You're going to be a great Christian young man, um, that's treating people the right way. And I just, I just really believe that good things happen to good people. And, you know, when you do things right, somehow, some way you're going to be rewarded, maybe not in the short term, but in the long term. So that was the overall vision. I think the, you know, the, the biggest piece was finding the right support staff. Number one, getting the administration to support what I was about, um, how I wanted to go about things, and then finding the coaches to support that mission because they're they're out there. They're the ones actually, you know, carrying the weight, if you will, and, and really doing it. When you're talking about a program with 75, 80 kids in it, you need a lot of support there. So, so really defining that vision to them and and getting them on board is the biggest piece. Well, I love hearing that. And, and I, again, it's, it's, we could spend an entire episode over how to, how to set up a championship program, uh, to, to compete from year one. And so I thank you for doing that and in such a clear manner, but you, you've mentioned the, the foundation and the framework several times. And one of the things that you mentioned was uh, your importance of communication. And I'm sure in, in the climate that you're in right now with, with the spotlight on you constantly and with parents, uh, that that want their childrens to or childrens <laughs> want their children to succeed uh, on a daily basis that that has to be at the at the most one of the most important things that that head coaches do and and just coaches in general and so for the for the coaches that are listening who want to grow want to get better have a growth mindset but maybe feel like they want to do a better job at this what advice would you give them you know be open and honest right from the beginning um you know, I think parent meetings and parent interaction are so important for coaches. Again, it, it everything we do is about relationships, you know, and and parents, no matter how good you are, um, parents are going to disagree with things you say at times. But I think that when you build that trust um, that you're trying to do 
the very best you can and that you ultimately have all of those kids' best interests at hand, although they might not be on the field or, or, or you know, they might not make the varsity team when they're a freshman or a sophomore or whatever that might be, clearly communicating the vision for not only the program, but for their individual kid. And so we start every year, I start every year with a parent meeting early on before we even step foot on the field, before, you know, classes even start. We have our group of uh, incoming freshmen and, and potentially any new students, and we have a, a parent meeting with them in the summer sometime. And, uh, you know, that's that's my opportunity to define that mission to them and tell them exactly um, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and how that how we need to work together. So parents and coaches need to work together. And uh, ultimately, my goal for their son is the same as theirs. I mean, I'd love to see every one of these kids play in the big leagues. You know, I'd see I'd love to see every one of them go on and play Division One baseball. But the reality of it is that when, when we when we really look in as parents, we we just want our kids to be happy. Right. We want them to be happy in whatever it is they do. So mental health is huge and and creating those environments. So the communication piece up front, this is what we're trying to accomplish and this is how we're going to accomplish it. And then we talk about all the things that we do off the field, um, probably twice as much as we do the things on the field, you know, because that is what we need to really focus on. That's how that's how we're going to create a program that kids want to be a part of. That's really going to create, you know, positive members in the community. And uh, so the parent meeting early on is really this is what our program's about. Really establish those. Um, you know, principles that you're going to have and how you're going to go about them, what it is that you're trying to accomplish as a coach and how you need their support. I think, again, it comes back to just clear and precise communication and, you know, lay down the, you, you also got to lay down kind of the ground rules, if you will, you know, and we talk about parents staying in bounds um, and what that means, you know, and so each coach, I think it's important for them to define their boundaries, how much interaction parents are actually going to have. You know, for me, I want our parents involved with basically everything in our program, except when it comes time to, you know, writing the lineup and deciding who's playing. I mean, we want them involved in fundraising efforts. We want them involved in our, you know, when we do our senior night, we want them involved in everything. Um, they're going to run our snack bar. They help us with fundraising. And I just think the more buy-in you get from them right away, um, you know, the more support you're going to have throughout, which makes it easier. And then when there are times of adversity, where there are times of disagreement, the communication piece is, is a lot easier because you've set those boundaries and they understand how to work within them. No, I really like that. And, and again, not that you nailed the question, but I think that, 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 that was a, just an awesome, awesome summation of uh, just giving some different advice. And, and I, I've never been a head coach uh, before. And so I love getting to hear just different thoughts on, on how you quote unquote deal with parents, because I know that that is a very real thing that, a lot of coaches have to that's on their plate on top of everything else that they have to do. One of the, For sure. I, and I think that piece, you know, sorry to interrupt. I think that piece, yes, I probably cut it off a little short. The communication doesn't just stop with that, with that opening meeting, you know, throughout um, the fall we do, we do things I call extra innings. Um, oh. So it's once, once a month at a, at, at a pizza place where the coaches and the parents just get together. Um, I kind of give, if you will, for the lack of a better, you know, phrase, a state of the union address, kind of an update on where the program is, what things need to be done, what's coming up, you know, both on and off the field. And, 
you know, it's just a great opportunity for, for parents to hang out and, and really, again, continue to enhance the relationship, that bond we have between coaches and parents. So we also have a booster club that, that I create that we have, you know, a parent representative from each grade level, um, as well as a president and a vice president. So we have, you know, six people plus two coaches on that. And we meet in the fall, we probably meet twice a month. Um, and then during the season, it's probably about once a month, but again, it's just opening those lines of communications and those, those grade level parents each serve as kind of a middleman for me in communicating with parents. So they have a real complete understanding of our program. Um, and they can, they can help solve a lot of the issues or answer a lot of the questions that those parents have that maybe aren't real familiar with the program. Oh, that's fantastic. Really, really good. The the next thing that I wanted to ask you about because I know that this is this was something else that that you're really passionate about and you also have a really good one which is uh which is key, but that's building your coaching staff. And as I was preparing a question list and I noticed that the, you actually gave an entire presentation over this. So I've never been I've never interviewed you know from a head coaching position uh, people that or assistants for the, for the team. And so I, I do know that having great assistance makes a really big deal to being a really good program and being a really good head coach. And so I'd love to hear just the different thoughts uh, of what you have, because I'm, I'm sure you've had to do that quite a bit. And so just different things that you've learned along the way, lessons that you've learned or just different advice that you have. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I mean, that again, it's key. Your coaches have to have the same, same ways that you do. You know, I think that it's important as a coach that, Number one, you, you have defined roles of needs. You know, what do you really need as a coach? You know, how many assistants do you need? What do you need them to do? What are your strengths? First off, as a head coach, are you gonna are you gonna take care of pitching? Are you gonna take care of the hitters or the catchers? Or do you want to have people that that can run those things and you take more of a college approach and you oversee the whole thing? And you know, as a as a younger coach, I started with me and one other coach. You know, so depending also on the resources you have to 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 make it happen you really have to outline what you need how many guys you need and then how we're going to go about doing it i've been i've been pretty fortunate to develop some good relationships over the time and have some coaches that have been with me for a while and some former players that have come back to coach with me that really make it easy and i think that goes back again to the relational piece that we talked about earlier and in those players returning to coach but anyway you know again it's almost like we handle it with the parents kind of the guidelines like you know, I'm going to sit down with a coach and first off at Orange Lutheran, you know, they got to be a believer. They got to be, you know, Christ driven. And uh, that's a big part of our program. So that's number one for us. Um, and then number two is me really getting to to know them a little bit. You know, I'm going to sit, I sit down with, with coaches that maybe I haven't met before. I try to do a very good job of making reference calls to people that I trust that maybe have had interaction with these coaches and then really just sitting down and hearing their thoughts um, about how they go about accomplishing things. It's not really so much the X's and O's, if you will. You know, I can, I can help teach coaches, coach coaches on the X's and O's, but we need people that, that are going to be leaders um, and role models and how they go about doing it. So that's what I'm really trying to gather. Um, and then and then from there, it's communicating that vision like I do with parents, like this is how we're going to about go about doing it. And I need you on board. Um, I want coaches that are going to challenge me. Um, I don't want coaches that are just going to be like, oh, Borbs, you, you know, you've been doing this a long time. Whatever you say, we'll do. I want coaches that are going to be like, hey, I don't know that we're doing this right. Or, hey, maybe we should take this approach. And 
I want those coaches to be able to sit down and have a backbone and explain in detail why is it, why, why should we do it that way? Um, or, you know, what are your thoughts on this and, and give supporting evidence. And then ultimately it's a, it's a collaboration, right? And there's got to be that trust that we can come to a conclusion. Ultimately, I'm going to make the final decision, but when it's said or done, you have to know that you have my back. And although we're going to disagree at times, you might suggest something that we don't do. Um, if I make the decision to go in a different direction, you're still there to support it. And, uh, you know, I think for myself personally, I've been able to communicate that with my coaches. I give them a long leash. You know, I tell my coaches from day one, once we've, once we've got that vision stuff and we're on the same page with how we're going to go about it, I let my coaches coach. I mean, if, you, if you're hired to coach, you know, pitchers, hey, the pitchers are yours. Let's talk about it. I'm going to have some overall philosophy stuff, but I'm not going to get in your way. Um, unless you're going about something in a different way, I'm going to serve as almost your assistant coach. So, you know, I have an infield coach, RJ Farrell, um, one of the best infield coaches in the country. You know, the infielders are his. And I'm, I look at it as I'm his assistant coach. He's the head coach of the infielders and I'm his assistant coach. So I'm there to give supporting, supporting stuff. Maybe I see something and how we're doing something that I can help him. But ultimately, he's going to make those decisions, obviously, through communication with me. But, you know, I think when you do that, um, you get more buy-in. And, and I try to do the same with our players. But when coaches feel like they have ownership of something, ultimately, what's going out on the field every day, they're going to have a greater interest in developing it. Because, you know, we all take pride in the things that we put out. No matter what it is that, that if it's representing us, we're going to take pride in it a little bit more. And so giving ownership is a huge piece for me. All of that. And as an assistant, I mean, uh, <laughs> it, you know, we, we all have different ideas and all come from different, you know, backgrounds and different things like that. And so I, you know, first off, I'm sure your guys really enjoy that aspect of it. But and I know as an assistant, having some ownership after you've gained that trust is a huge, huge deal. And so, yeah, RJ is stud and, you know, you're lucky to have him for sure. I'm, I'm sure he are, you already know that, but I wanted to definitely make sure I threw that out there. Yeah, he's awesome. So let, let's talk a little bit about just your, you know, your favorite team building activities. So I know that we, I, I this is just an assumption. I know you, you guys are a private school and maybe a, I'm assuming that a lot of those kids didn't. I grew up in, in the same, you know, like a lot of our listeners, same small town, same middle school, same high school. So you may be getting guys from all different parts of Orange County who they get to campus and it's the first time that they've seen other guys. Uh, similar, I'm, I'm assuming similar, similar to college uh, where they have all kinds of different backgrounds. And so I'd love to hear just some different things that you guys do there that you really feel like it, it's beneficial and helps them grow closer. Yeah, no, you, you're exactly right. We do have a lot of kids that come in that don't know anybody uh, being a private school. You know, to be honest, in Southern California, you know, we have probably about a 60 mile diameter, you know, 30 miles each way where we get kids that, that come to our school. We're the biggest Lutheran school in the country. And, you know, obviously with the baseball piece and the athletics piece and everything our school has to offer, we, we draw from a, from a wide area. So we do have a lot of kids that don't know each other. And so, you know, it starts from day one with us, day one um, of school. You know, we have a baseball class. We're blessed to have seventh period PE, which is our baseball class. We have all of our athletes in that class from freshmen all the way through seniors. And, you know, our first day is classroom. 
you know, they all get in there and we do some um, fun activities because to me, again, everything in our program is built around family principles. And, uh, you know, so we have our seniors, depending on how many that is every year on the first day, we actually split off for about 20 minutes where they take, you know, some of the freshmen and any of the new guys, we split them all up into groups. Um, and they go, they go get to know each other a little bit. Obviously it's not a long time, but you know, at least they get names, maybe where they're from, maybe a little history about them, what position they play, those kinds of things, just little things to really get them tied in. And so then we have our seniors come back and report to the whole team, the whole program, actually, um, you know, they kind of stand up and introduce, um, you know, the other players in their group and, and say something small about them. So we're right away from day one developing those relationships between the kids. And then, you know, everything we do in our program, we try to do with our older kids involved and engaged with our younger kids. So, you know, during weights they're conditioning together they're in the weight room together and our older kids are mentoring the younger kids and we try to do different different things each year you know whether it be a boat crew or something where we have representatives from each grade level in that to really build the program culture you know we want we want our guys help and when our when our freshman team's playing and our varsity team maybe isn't practicing or playing you know we want our varsity guys to go watch them. We want them to go to the games. We want them to even go to practice. And in the fall, we start with our practices, you know, based on position. Um, that's for individual development, but more importantly, it's for that cultural development in the program where our, you know, freshman middle infielders are, are working with our junior and senior middle infielders every day for the first month or so. Six weeks is, is generally the first phase for us. Um, but anyway, so that's the, that's the program-wide culture building. And then, you know, when we get into team um, and, and some of these kind of overlap, if you will, we do them with the whole program. But, you know, um, getting into team, we do team devotionals um, weekly. Um, we have the seniors in that. We have coaches. Sometimes we have some of our admin or, or other people come in and lead our devotionals. Um, we have team dinners monthly with our team. Generally, that's going to be, a, you know, at my house, I live relatively close to the school. So um, we'll have the whole varsity team over and have team dinners where we also do the devotionals in that. A lot of times we'll do the devotionals at, at school before our, you know, strength and conditioning class. Um, we also do retreats. So every year we try to do one big retreat. We haven't been able to do that this year with COVID. But typically we'll take a weekend and we'll go up to the mountains or we'll go out to the desert or we'll do something. Um, you know, two years ago we went, we're in San Diego and we, we actually Airbnb'd a huge house um, that got the whole team and coaches there. And we had barbecues and we had just some reflection time. We did a talent show. So we try to have fun with it. We don't try to make it all biblical or all serious. We have a lot of fun on the retreat. We also try to do, um, a ropes course, both a low ropes course and a high ropes course, which are huge team building opportunities, um, really building trust. Um, and then we, we do a lot of, you know, just in the, in the winter, especially at, I know we don't get a lot of weather issues in Southern California, but on rainy days, we typically use those days to do activities in the classroom, you know, and we'll have kids share, you know, who their hero is a hardship and a highlight, you know, hardship hero and highlight, we call it where kids get up and just, talk about those three things. So we're just trying to find different ways for kids to open up and get to know each other. Because again, that's, that's where trust comes in. 
and and the trust and love that are found you know that are the foundational pieces of our program are really built at times like that um we have our seniors every year uh sorry if i'm rambling here we got a lot of things we have our seniors every year that come up with the core values for that season you know so based again on the number of seniors we have you know we'll split them into two or three guys and they'll come up with core values and then they'll present at our team dinners um, why is this core value important? How has it directly affected them and their experience at Orange Lutheran in the baseball program? Um, you know, so we're trying to do as much as we can off the field. Obviously, um, I try to re be respectful of their time and understand it's not, you know, uh, a full time commitment yet. But at the same time, it's a big commitment and it's a big part of their life. So we try to spend as much time together as we do and just you know, try to mix it up as well. I don't want it to get get old and rhetorical for them. So we try we try to do as many fun things as we can. But those are some of the the major pieces that we do. Oh, really good. I really like that a lot. So let's let's get into the uh, player development piece. And and you hit on it a little bit. You said that in the fall, it's it's more individual based, or at least part of the fall. And you use some of your seniors to be able to teach some of the underclassmen. So I'd love to hear just an outline of what you guys do in the fall, and then we can kind of roll through your off-season uh, program calendar? Yeah, well, our, our, you know, the whole player development piece for me is is um, vital. A lot of people think that our program, just because we're high profile, we get these great kids and great players, which we do, don't get me wrong, but there's a developmental plan for each and every one of them. And communicating that is, is huge. So uh, I'll start with our returning athletes. So um, our returning players at the end of the season are all required to have a meeting with me, um, both with their parent, with them, with their parents as well. So I have a 20 minute um, meeting with every player in our program. So if that's 75 kids, I take, you know, as many hours as that is. Um, we did it on zoom this past summer, uh, obviously with COVID, but typically I like to do it in my office where we can sit face to face. And uh, you know, we have our player, our, excuse me, our coaches, do a player evaluation. They fill out an evaluation that's got um, five just, uh, you know, personal traits, characteristics, um, off the field kind of makeup questions, if you will. Um, you know, um, whether they're a hard worker, if they can be trusted, if they, you know, um, put others before themselves, you know, how respectful they are, those kinds of things. And then we have five categories of, you know, evaluating them physically as a baseball player. And we sit down and we go through those evaluations with the parents, the coaches make comments and I, I read the comments and then I uh, give them my input on exactly where every player is. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's a player that, that maybe is at the bottom of the talent level, or maybe it's one of our superstar players, we're going to sit down and talk about the strengths and the weaknesses for each one of them and what we want them to work on moving forward and how we're going to go about doing that in the program. So we try to individualize that as much as, of that as possible, that our kids are going to go off and play summer baseball. Um, and we want them to work on those specific things. And then when they come back in the fall, you know, we can see how committed they are too, which is a big piece of it. Hey, you know, did you work on this aspect of your game? You know, maybe it's arm strength. You know, what are you doing? Where's your arm at now as to where it was when you left before summer? And what steps are you taking to continue? continually improve arm strength. You know, that's just a little piece. Um, so our returning players have a clear defined plan. Our new and incoming players, um, we try to get together in the summer for uh, a, a week, which is a workout where, where also we can, we can at least 
um, look at their physical traits, right? And we can analyze their physical traits and then we can communicate to them exactly where they're at physically. And then our fall um, calendar, we don't do anything in the summer or other than with those incoming freshmen and, and transfer students. Our, our sophomores, juniors, and seniors all go play for other programs. Um, our coaches are involved with USA Baseball and other travel ball programs as well. Um, so we pretty much take the summer away and I think it's a good refreshing time for all of us. Um, I, I really believe that the kids learn from multiple coaches and I don't want them just in our program. I want them learning from other guys, being exposed to, you know, different parts of the country, if that's what it means, being exposed to college coaches and there's different connections that all coaches have. So go play for somebody else because ultimately when I'm doing something, you know, I want as many resources as possible to get the best solution. And these players are trying to become the best players they can. The more resources they have to help them get there, I think the better off they are. But anyway, um, so when it comes to player development in our program, we break down our year into phases. So again, that first phase is always individual development um, where they're working position specific. We don't even pick up bats, um, you know, for the first month, which is generally, you know, the end of August to the middle of September, somewhere in there, depending on the six week schedule. And it's all defense by position. So we have all our catchers there together and they're, you know, we're just developing skills there. They're not, they're doing competitive drills, but they're not competing on the field. There's no game type play in that first month. And then we get into the offensive piece of it. So we'll go in um split our guys up and again we're we're kind of splitting these guys up based on skill set and level a little bit more just because of you know limited resources um as far as facilities we don't have our own field or batting we have a couple batting cages on campus but we don't have our own field and you know sometimes it's difficult to have a big group of guys so we try to split that up but again it's it's communicating first the things that we want them to develop and and then kind of grouping them with that so we can coach you know if we if we have somebody that maybe has too long of a swing and we want them working on more on a skill game, you know, maybe they have some speed, we'll group those guys together and we're really going to focus on that. Or maybe it's a bigger, stronger guy, you know, a group of those guys that are more of our, you know, power guys, if you will, we're going to group them together and talk about what the expectation is for them. And, and we're going to work on the offensive piece. And at the same time we're doing the offensive piece, we're getting into smaller individualized defensive groups at this time. So we're always working on the defense. We'll split, you know, at times we'll have like outfielders and, and catchers at the same place. So catchers will work on defense, hitters will, or I mean, outfielders will hit and then we'll switch, um, whatever it is. So that's kind of the second phase of it. And then, and then we get into the, the third phase later in the fall towards the end of October. We're actually split into teams now. And now is where we're developing the team concepts and our practices then are, are, you know, committed to everything we need to do as a team. So whether it be bunt defenses or first and thirds or the different offensive plays we're going to put in, how we're going to handle cuts and relays, you know, pop-up communication, all of those things. So that's kind of how our development, you know, piece looks um, and, and how we're, we're trying to individualize it throughout that. And then at the end is where we put those pieces together. We kind of establish our rosters for the different levels and where guys are going to be. And then, and then we get to the team team building aspect with being such a you know a large program with the amount of kids i'm sure you have that want to be a part of it what does your player evaluation uh piece look like yeah so you know i'm not a traditional coach that has has cuts per se there's only one time 
um, really in a in a player's career if you will where there's a cut and that's as an incoming player so as an incoming freshman or as a um, you know transfer student they go through a tryout process um, and we may have cuts there to be honest I you know again getting to that that solid foundational piece of of you know communication I like to sit down with players and and a lot of times with their families to just let them know exactly where they're at you know, and we try to we try to have an open door policy for as many kids that want to commit to the things that you know they need to be committed to the time, the the even the financial piece, the the effort, the all the things that we require of them. If they want to be a part of it, we're going to try to create avenues for them to be a part of it. Whether they're going to be, you know, um, contributing on a daily basis on the field, or if they're not going to contribute at all and they're going to learn to be a team player. I just think there's so many valuable lessons in playing high school baseball, being part of a high school team, being part of sports that that really frame these kids for lives that we're going to try to create as many opportunities as as we can. Being that we're about 1,350 students, you know, we're not a big school, um, but we're not a small school. So unless we have numbers that we just can't manage, um, we can't run practices, we can't, you know, we don't have enough uniforms. We're not going to make cuts in the next four years. Um, if a if at a time a player comes to a point that they're not going to be able to contribute on the field, we're going to sit down with that player and his family, and we're going to say, "Hey, this you know, there's three, four guys ahead of you. We don't see the opportunity for you to be on the on the field very much. You know what what do we want to do? We would love to have you. You do the right things off the field. You're a good character guy." We'd love to support you. How can we work through this together? Would you like to still be a part of this? And if they do, generally we're gonna we're gonna keep them involved as much as we can. You know, this year I actually started like a uh, a support group with some players that decided not to play because they weren't gonna get a lot of playing time, and so they're helping us out with different things, almost like team managers, if you will, in Division One baseball um, that just want to be a part of it. I think that. We've been blessed at Orange Lutheran. We've been able to create an environment that kids want to be a part of. And so whether they're, you know, my thing is baseball is not the calling for everybody. And there's a time in everybody's life where that day is going to come to an end. And for some, it's sooner than later. For some, you know, they would have the opportunity if they go to another school. And and some families are going to choose to move on, you know, and go to another school. And I'm going to support them. And I want to help them with that, you know. So we've had Yearly, we have players, you know, that transfer out because there's just not a clear line for them on the field and they feel that that's more important to them. And I'm going to support them. I'm going to work with them. I'm going to follow them as they move on to another school and, and always be there of a line of communication for them. You know, but really that evaluation piece is is really we are evaluating the talent. Obviously, we need to put the best players on the field, at least the best players that work together are going to be part of a team and help us win, accomplish our mission, if you will. You know, there just because a player is not as talented as somebody else doesn't mean he can't have a part in our in our program. And I think a lot of times those kids that don't play a lot, they're your best leaders at times because they're not getting their name in the paper. They're not, you know, getting the game winning RBI and the high fives, but they are setting the tone, setting that environment in the dugout. They're setting the tone for how we're gonna go about practice because you know, they know their opportunity to be there is is something they've been blessed with and, and they they take advantage of it. They don't take things for granted. And they know that being part of the team, um, you know, is, is really it's a privilege for them and they take advantage of it. So 
I think that when we as coaches make our best players, our captains, if you will, and I don't, I don't believe in having captains. Um, we have leaders and our, and our whole program are leaders. And there's guys that I'm going to turn to, don't get me wrong, but to designate captains is not something that I believe in. And, and I think as coaches, we need to find, you know, the, if you are going to have captains, you need to find those guys that really are captains. And it's not based on their stats or where they're going to college, where they're committed. You know, it's based on how they go about their business, how they go about it in the weight room. How are they off the field? Are they, you know, are they somebody that can be trust and relied upon? You know, I think that's the biggest question we ask our kids on a daily basis. Can we rely on you? Can your teammates rely on you? And that's a question they have to be able to answer, you know, to themselves. Um, can we rely on you to make good decisions on the weekend? Can we rely on you to make good decisions in the classroom? Can we rely on you to make good decisions when you're not around us? Um, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm veering off a little again, but the, that kind of ties in the cultural piece with the evaluation piece. So my evaluations are not based solely on skill set, if you will. I love that. So one of the things that, that you mentioned, so you guys break it up into different phases. And so you get to the, you know, the team segment. And I, I think you mentioned that that was in October. And mm -hmm. whenever, whenever you guys start in a normal year, you're probably February. And so I, I would love to hear just from your perspective, what are some of some of the critical things that once you guys break into teams that you have, you feel like you have to get done uh, before the season starts. So uh, one, uh, one obvious one, I think for, for most people would be, we, we've got to get our pitchers up to a point to where we feel like that they, you know, can sustain a, a workload that's manageable at that period of time. But I would just love from just the, the overarching view from you, you've got several different teams that you're having to, you know, to manage. And I would just love to hear your thought process into, okay, we get to game one, we have to have X, Y, and Z, or we just, you know, we, I have a couple of things that, that we need to get done or, or just, you know, or we can manage this during the season. But uh, besides my rambling, does there any, is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of different layers to this Pete, this question, you know, um, number one, yeah, you hit it on the pitching. I mean, pitching for us is, is huge. We try to schedule everything around our pitching to have them, you know, ready for opening day. And we have had, you know, players that are involved with Team USA and we've had players that do different events. Um, and when I got my master's degree, we talked about or I, you know, did my my study, my final paper on on, you know, arm care. And so that's vital for us with pitching and our pitchers. I, I ask all of our pitchers to take six weeks off during the season. And typically we have kind of a. a if you will, a gray area calendar where this is the six weeks we would like you to take off. If you don't, if you have something where these six weeks don't work for you, then we're going to sit down and have a meeting and we're going to talk about it. Um, you know, so we can individualize those a little bit and we communicate that with our team to make sure that, Hey, one player has an opportunity. We're going to let him do this. So his six week calendar is going to be off. And then we schedule our winner, which is in the team phase of this, um, you know, we're able to play baseball games in Southern California. And so we, we create a schedule, both a practice schedule and a, and a game schedule that supports what our pitchers need. And, um, you know, so that, that's number one. So if we have, you know, 
15 guys that can pitch, which sounds like a lot to a lot of you, but we have roughly 15 guys that can pitch on our team, whether that be two way guys or, you know, include the POs and the two way guys. Um, especially at that time of year, we're trying not to overextend anybody. So we start number one with, with the arm care piece, um, of getting them ready to just throw one inning. And we kind of build from there. We map that out. The number of innings per week is going to be based on the number of pitchers we have. And so, you know, um, we'll, we'll do that part of it. And then it becomes competitive as well, right? You're competing for spots in that winter season. Um, so I think it's important for that team season, if you will, that team phase. Number one, um, our coaches have to be able to communicate and realize what our strengths and weaknesses are. What is our, what is our overall philosophy? What is our overall goal, a plan of attack, whatever you want to call it with the group of players that we have that year, are we going to be strong on the mound? Are we going to be strong offensively? You know, in what aspect of the game offensively, are we going to be a skill team? Are we going to be a, you know, RBI kind of a gorilla, gorilla ball team? Um, do we have flexibility in that? Can, you know, can we do a little bit of both? What are we going to be? And then, you know, using that team phase that those, those games to really, really implement the offensive style that we're going to have. So you get the pitchers ready on one end, the offensive piece, um, that focus, we're communicating that through practice and we're working on it specifically. So, you know, this year's team, for example, I mean, we have, we have probably as diverse of a team from a talent standpoint as I've ever had the combination of left-handed hitters and right-handed hitters and power hitters and speed guys. I feel like we can do a lot of different things um, in a game. We can play a lineup, for defense, we can play a lineup for speed, you know, and, and it's kind of fun, but at the same time, you know, I, we can do a lot of different things, but I don't want to make it so complicated that <clears throat> we become very average at a lot of things and not very good at a few things. So I think it's important in that winter session to really identify <clears throat> three or four offensive pieces that are going to be staples for that season. Um, and then we can build through the season as you, as you kind of led to, you know, we can build some of those other pieces as the season begins, but there's got to be three or four things that, Hey, this is going to be our mission. This is going to be our mission as a, as an offense. This is going to be our mission as, as a defense and as a pitching staff. And those are the three questions that you have to answer before you start that team phase, but you have to um, <clears throat> communicate them and practice them um, through that team phase so that you get, again, not only do you get, you know, competent at them, but the players understand what it is we're trying to accomplish and how to go about it. So then you get the buy-in that you need and it becomes a lot easier come season time. Do you mind giving us a few examples of what you mean by like the three or four things? Yeah. So, you know, maybe we're going to be, <clears throat> Oh, there's so many different ways that uh, maybe, you know, our, our coaches have discussed, hey, we're going to have a two-strike approach. And I know this can become a debatable topic with a lot of people. There are times where, hey, we're going to really commit to, to changing our two-strike approach. And I think every year that commitment changes a little bit based on our clientele, based on our talent pool, and uh, you know, or based on the oppositions, the arms that we're going to face. And so... 
kids nowadays generally don't have a two strike approach before they get to us. It's always the same swing. And, and, you know, there's times there's situations in a game where we let them do that, but in a season where, Hey, maybe we, we have, you know, we have to be able to put the ball in play with two strikes and we want them shortening up, you know, that might be something that we're just, Hey, every time we get a two strikes or maybe, you know, there's been years in the past where we're like, Hey, we have noticed a pattern that now, um, our league opponents or most of the opponents we're playing are flipping us breaking balls in a certain situation. Like, you know, we get a runner in scoring position with less than two outs. The first pitch is a breaking ball. And so we're going to go through a phase in our, in our team, you know, at the, at that time in the winter where, Hey guys, you're sitting first pitch breaking ball. If you don't get it, you're taking it. And we're going to commit to that so that we understand how to hit a breaking ball. Most high school guys, you know, don't sit breaking ball. Um, very often, if ever, they don't like to, they don't see it, whatever it is, they don't feel comfortable hitting it. But when they learn that hitting a get it in breaking ball, as we call it, um, can be the easiest pitch to hit, we can commit to that. And hey, we're not just going to let somebody come in and flip strike one by throwing a, you know, 75% breaking ball in the middle of the zone, we're going to we're going to do damage with that pitch. And so if that's one of those tools that we need, you know, or maybe it's a hit and run or a skill game. Hey, we need to be able to drag. We need to be able to push, you know, so that's what I mean by the different tools and how we're going to do it. Maybe it's, you know, stealing bases this year. We've, we've changed our, um, our leads at first base. And, you know, I've done a, a, some research on it and there's been a lot of integrative approaches at ABCA conventions from coaches about, creating momentum leads is what I'm calling them, just creating momentum into your breaks. Um, and so we have changed our whole, uh, the whole way we take our leads at first base. And uh, so we committed to doing that, you know? So that's one of the tools. We're going to focus on that. I think that you have to identify three or four of those things that you're really going to be good at and really master those before you can move on to the next thing. I'm not going to go, hey, we're going to be able to push, drag, squeeze, hit and run, you know, like all this stuff, there's, there's just too much. You're never going to master it. And so I want to be really, really good at a few things, but be able to do a lot of things. No, great answer. And thank you again for, for providing some context. And uh, I really appreciate that. Um, so with with uh, when we get to the season, you've got your three or four things outlined. You also mentioned that you can add layers to that as the season goes along, which I, I think is just a genius concept. But you are, you know, you're playing in a really tough league and the Trinity, Trinity League is by a, a lot of measures the best league in the country. And I think you alluded to that earlier. But with that being said, how, like, how do you, have you gone about just uh, your practice design? And I know, I know that's a really, a really broad topic, but at the same time, I love hearing head coaches and their thought process on, hey, we do more early in the season and then we scale it back to doing less and you know it depends on the time of, of year that we're in and then we get getting there's just so many layers that go into it but let's say that you are giving advice to a head coach who's going through that right now and there's a lot of you know head coaches in your area that are probably new head coaches and are, are going through this type of season for the first time in their career what are just uh, what are some just outlines or guides that that you would have and as far as practice design in season and just kind of take that question wherever you'd like yeah well typically you know in the preseason our practice plans are all the same 
I mean, other than days where we're going to do some kind of a, a, a scrimmage where we need pitchers to throw and, and just play more of a scrimmage, um, our practice design is, is always the same. And, uh, you know, we start with, with stretching as a group. Um, they do all their dynamic stretches. And then we actually split off for our throwing. So our pitchers do, do their throwing program and our position players go do base running. I mean, base running is a huge element um, to our game, and it's big for me. Um, and so we focus that on a piece of that every day, whether it be leads and breaks or whether it be reading ball and dirt or maybe it's our turns, you know, whatever it might be. We are working for 10 to 15 minutes at the beginning of practice on that particular aspect of base running every single day. And I think that as a coach, when you have a commitment to those things, again, not only do you master it, but kids want to be good at it. When you can, when you can communicate that vision that, Hey, we need to be really, really good at this because, you know, 90% of our games in the Trinity league are going to be tight games, you know, with within two runs late in the game, the base running piece of it is so critical. So we put a high priority on base running um, and our pitchers, you know, do their throwing program and then we flip. So our position players will go do their throwing program and pitchers are doing PFPs. I mean, PFPs are such a important, you know, piece, pitchers fielding practice. Our pitchers have to be able to field their position um, and, and we'll separate that. Sometimes it's controlling the running game. Sometimes it's fielding bunt. Sometimes it's getting over to cover first, turning double plays, whatever it is. Again, it's about 10 to 15 minutes. And, and we'll typically do a couple different things, you know, uh, in a day. So we won't do all of those in one day, but, you know, maybe one day is bunts. They're fielding bunts and we can have three lines. One's getting off the mound, field the bunt, throwing to third. You know, one's fielding the comeback or hard bunt that they're going to second. Another one's fielding the bunt to the right side, going to first. And we're going through that. And another day, maybe it's, it's pitcher assignment. So it's covering first base. It's backing up bases, you know. Another day, it might be controlling the running game. So we're working on timing or looks. And, you know, another day, it might be picks. So we're actually having our pitchers work as our infielders for our for our timing picks, daylight picks, whatever it might be. So they're getting an understanding of it, not only just on the mound, but as the position player sees it as well. So they're understanding timing and how important that element is to it. Uh, and then we go into a team defense element. Uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. We go to an individual defense piece first. So we split up. I'm blessed to have an outfield coach and a catching coach and an infield coach and a pitching coach. So we split up into those groups and we go work 15 to 20 minutes on a, on individual development. So, you know, RJ's got the infielders and Josh Rodriguez, my outfield coach has been with me forever. Uh, you know, he's working with outfielders and they're working on, you know, crow hop or they're working on transfers or balls off the wall, whatever it might be. And those coaches dictate they decide what they're going to work on um each and every day so we go through that and then we go into a team defense so we might do first and thirds or bunt defenses um you know whatever whatever it is cuts and relays pop-up communication again whatever it is for team defense for another 15 or 20 minutes and then we get into our offense and our offensive piece is is generally about an hour and we do a lot of station work um we kind of well we kind of alternate between station work and situational games. I mean, I think the more game play reps you can get in practice, you know, the, the better prepared they are for the, for the field. So um, we're typically doing a lot of platform situational um, pieces where we lay the, the objective for the day um, down. So maybe they're getting 
five at bats or six at bats in a day. And Hey, the first at bat is, you know, hit and run runner at first, second at bats runner at second, nobody out. We're communicating what it is. Our objective is how we go about accomplishing that. And, and a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times we're actually evaluating that. So we have score sheets for it. So the guys are understanding success rates um, with it, but typically for a practice plan, that's what it looks like. I mean, we have it, we have it outlined. So it's typically between two and two and a half hours. Um, and, and we just try to accomplish as much as we can. Again, that's the preseason. As we get into season, you know, now that we're in Trinity League, so the way our conference works is you play a three-game series every week for five weeks. Um, so we play Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Friday night. Um, typically, our Monday practice is a, is a preparation for the week. Um, so if we're playing, you know, a team that, that has specific traits that, you know, we've scouted, we know we need to prepare for, um, we're going to talk about those things and go over those things in our practice. And then we're always going to do our butt defenses and first and thirds at the beginning of the week. We spend Mondays, you know, about 10 minutes on each, just making sure that we're prepared for those. Um, it's a quick run through. Sometimes it's a little bit shorter and, and more of just a, a vocal communication, not actual execution. But we really try to keep it light um, in season with only really two practices during the week um, on Mondays and Thursdays and three games. The guys are pretty beat. So we go easy on the arms and we're trying not to do a lot. We're trying to really do uh, a lot of offensive stuff and just kind of uh, screenshot, if you will, more of the defensive stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll do some ground ball work without throwing and, and you know, we'll do what I call infield circus where we'll just hit a ton of ground balls without throws and uh, you know, that kind of stuff, but we're trying to keep it light in season. And then on Saturdays, typically what we do is we have an inner squad scrimmage um, with the pitchers that we didn't use that week. And maybe we, you know, put the guys that didn't get a lot of at bats during the week at the front of the lineup. So they're getting more at bats on the weekend, but we're just really um, the, using the Saturdays to try to give everybody that, that in play experience, if you will, that, that they need because they never know when they are going to be asked to be part of the lineup. So that's typically how it works for us uh, with practice. I don't know if that completely answers your question. If there's more specifics, feel free to ask. Absolutely. So uh, the, the latter piece to that is, you know, you, you outlined what you guys do up to, you know, the middle of the season and as district play or what you, what a league play is what you guys call it, I think. Yeah. But with postseason right around the corner for a lot of teams that are listening to this, what is your advice for, you know, the week or two leading up to postseason and to what you found to get guys really primed and ready to be able to, you know, go compete their best for the postseason play? Yeah, I think honestly, this might sound a little weird, but making sure physically they physically and mentally they're in the right place is more important. I mean, if we get to the end of the season and they don't know how to execute a bunt defense, or, you know, do something, we're probably going to be in trouble when it gets to playoffs anyway. So for me, it's more about the mental and physical piece of having their bodies prepared, um, you know, for the playoffs. We need them at 100%. So if you're fortunate enough where you've clinched a playoff spot early and, and you know, that last week, you can really, last week or two, you can really use it to line things up for the playoffs. You're pitching, you know, um, a lot of times I know for us, like we play the three games a week, but when we get the playoffs, it's only two games a week. So we may have our, you know, Friday starter that now is going to become a reliever in the playoffs and he's never relieved before. So 
I try to look at that and go, okay, we need, we need this guy to get a relief appearance the week or two before to make sure he knows what it takes to get ready. Right. Like if we need him to come in the middle of a game, how long does it take him to get ready? Um, what situation might he be called upon mentally preparing? And that's going to be different than, you know, a start where maybe that Friday starter is going to become a closer because we typically don't have an established closer during the season. Um, with three games a week, we haven't been at times we have, but that third starter, a lot of times will become your best closer. And so I want to try to get them into some closer roles before the playoffs, you know? Um, so that's a big thing. And I think, again, the team, um, culture, um, where they're at as a team is the most important piece. And I think we've all seen it in baseball. You know, it's not always the best team that wins, especially in Southern California. We have a one game elimination and uh, there's a lot of good teams. So the best team doesn't always win as far as talent, but the best team, the team that is in the best place um, playing the best at that time of year is going to win. So as a coach, I try to take a step back from the physical, you know, on field stuff to more about the individual health. Where are they at physically as far as their body? What kind of shape are they in? And mentally, do they understand the situations that are going to be called upon them? And we're using those last couple of weeks to really prepare for that, because as we all know, the playoffs are going to focus on those on those small things a lot more than just the big things. So, uh, um, you know, again, it kind of can vary a little bit, again, depending on so many different factors from your seating to, to what what it is. You know, maybe our team has taken a little bit of a different path than we expected. And now we've found some other strengths throughout the season that. We didn't know. Maybe we didn't, you know, think our pitching was going to be as good as it is, but we've been really pitching. So we're going to play a little more small ball. And, you know, I think it's identifying what are the things that I believe as the head coach are going to help us to win a championship and win five games in a row. Um, those important pieces. So getting the individual player in the right place physically, getting making sure the team dynamic is is where it needs to be. The guys understand no matter what has happened to this point, you know, nothing else matters. It's it's about winning um, those games in front of you and then just getting guys in roles that they might experience and really preparing them for that if we weren't able to do that through the regular season. I love that. Well, I've got a, a couple of questions for you, you know, before we, we wrap this up. And I know you're a learner. I know I've heard you on several different podcasts and you talk about just the different things that you're reading and and uh, just from personal conversations, I know that that you're that you're a willing learner for sure. But I'd love to hear uh, what is something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited or, or piqued your interest. You know, I, I was thinking about this question, and and I can't think of one particular thing. Um, I think, like you said, I I really try to have a growth mindset and get better and learn as much as I can you know, as often as I can, I really live by that motto of you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. And so, you know, I try to learn from every person that I come in contact with, uh, whether it be baseball or just, you know, parenting or in life. Um, so I think there's a lot of elements of baseball that are exciting that I continue to learn. You know, we're learning something new every day in this. I think the continual development for me with data analysis is huge. Um, I'm excited about you know, getting a little more, um, you know, just expert, not even expertise, just getting a little more involved with that piece. Cause that's where our game has gone now and the importance of it. And kids are really into it. And I think, 
you know, again, in reaching out to kids, we have to constantly adapt. So I'm still learning that piece. By no means am I um, advanced in any way, but we got Rapsodo this year. And so we're really starting to look at numbers more. So that excites me. But, you know, being part of the, the Necton group, it's referred to, you know, a group of coaches from around the country that we communicate constantly. I'm just always trying to learn something, um, whether it be, you know, whether it be Chuck Box in Mississippi talking about his end of the year, you know, checklist, you know, whatever it is, doing different things or, or handling a situation, you know, today in our, this morning, um, one of the coaches, you know, was asking, Hey, we got to prepare for hitting a, you know, 87 to 90 mile an hour righty with a good slider. That's going to throw the slidey 60% of the time. How do you guys work on sl hitting slider? And like the ideas that other coaches put in there are things that I've never even thought about. You know, and so I'm trying to get better at at those things, because I think the more we can break it down, you know, the, the better chance we're going to have to be successful as a coach. Yeah, I can go tell my players, hey, you're going to see 87 and 90 with a little arm side run and he's going to throw 60 percent sliders like that's great, coach. But how do I hit it? Like, you know, that's how are we going to give them those tools? So <clears throat> I think just as many lines of communication as you can to get advice, whether that be calling other coaches or, or, you know, relying on past experiences. That's really where I'm focused, you know, and I'm not afraid to admit my deficiencies, if you will, and say, Hey man, I don't know how to do this, but this is something I need to learn, or this is something I need to do. And I try to seek input to help, help better that, you know, maybe even it's a discipline situation. Maybe it's not an on the field thing, but maybe it's, you know, something going on with a young man and not, I want to get as many resources, as I mentioned earlier, for the players with coaching, I want to have as many resources as I can before I make a decision or before I go about doing something. And the more resources we can give, again, you, you don't want to complicate it. But at the same time, I think every kind of every player is a different kind of learner. And, you know, what works for one might not work for the other and, and vice versa. So the more thing, more, you know, avenues you have to 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 prepare them, the better off. So. Again, a little bit of a vague answer there. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not a huge reader. Uh, I think I've only read a few books really in my life. I love podcasts. I love learning from from other coaches and, and experiences there. So that's that's really where I would suggest getting most of the information. Oh, really good. So uh, second question is, what is something that you used to do that you've changed your mind about and no longer do? It's, well, um, I think, I think really, um, is treating players differently, right? Like I have a son now that's a sophomore that plays for me and I've always tried to be quote unquote, a father figure on the field. Um, but until I actually had him there, did I really see it through that full scope? And I think in conversation with players in that communication piece. I think I've always been a pretty good communicator, but a lot of times it was communicating like what I saw and it wasn't hearing what they see or need. And I think that, you know, as for me now, it's like, hey, let's open the mic to the player before I tell them what they need to do. Like, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? You know, um, and, and how can we work together? Um, you know, because I think that we're working with a, with a, with an, in an era with kids that are very strong minded, 
that that really have strong opinions and sometimes you know they're not they're molded before they get to us at the high school level already and they're very stern in what they've been taught or how they've been raised and so we can't combat that you know we can't always fight that sometimes we have to work with it obviously you know our boundaries are our boundaries and and there needs to be some give on both ends um but i think really taking the players um, perspectives into account is something that we as coaches should do. We can't be dictators. We have to, we have to work together. And, and again, the more buy-in you give them, the better off you're going to be. So I would say that's the biggest change. If that answers the question. No, I love that answer. What is something that you guys do in practice that your players love or your player's favorite drill? And, and if you could explain it, I'd love to be able to steal it from you. Yeah, I think, uh, we try to do competitive fun things a lot. Um, so those, those, I'm always looking for ideas. I think the best one that we do that our kids love, obviously they all love to hit. So um, we play a game called knockout um, at the end of practice at times, um, you know, and we let our POs even swing the bats in this. So it, it becomes a little bit competitive, but they have fun. And basically, you know, it's a one swing um, kind of sting it and stay, or, you know, if you don't, sting it or get a hit however you want to do it as a coach you know some people do it with barrels we do it like uh we'll change it so sometimes it'll be a barrel or sometimes it could even be a situational piece like hey you gotta run a third infield in you know whatever it is we can we can dictate that but uh if a kid if a player doesn't execute or doesn't barrel it or whatever they go into the penalty box and the player behind them um has a chance to knock them out and so if the player behind him executes whatever the objective is, that kid's now out and he's out shagging baseballs and he's out of the competition. So, you know, I know some people call it king of the hill, but that's that's a fun one that we love to do. You can get, you can also do it, you know, off a machine with velo. Um, if you're getting ready to face a guy that's, you know, a, a harder thrower um, or maybe a breaking ball guy, sometimes we'll go offset, you know, if we're facing a lefty um, or something like that. So. You can, you can vary it, but it's a lot of fun for our guys. They love doing it. Um, every time we're going to play knockout, it just seems like we end practice on a very good note. I love that. What is, uh, and you, you, you mentioned you hadn't read a, a ton of books in your, in your life, so you can, you know, clinics or just anything in this, in this question, but what is one book or just resource in general that if you had the budget to buy for, or let every everybody listening that could attend, uh, what would that be? Uh, I think without a doubt, the coach's Bible, um, FCA has a coach's Bible and it's amazing. I mean, being a, being a believer myself and, you know, I think that's important. I have, I carry it with me everywhere I go. It's in my backpack. Um, it's with me at the field and there's a lot of times where I just refer to that. Um, you know, there's, there's scripture that relates to a lot of the things we deal with as coaches and the players are dealing with as players. So, um, going a little, you know, biblical there, religious, that's number one. I think the best book that I ever read as a coach that helped me the most is, is uh, a book called leading with the heart by Mike Krzyzewski. Um, it's been a few years, the book's been around for a while. So it tells you a little bit about how much I read books, but it was just amazing. And I think that was the first real um, piece of literature that made me reflect on how I went about doing things and building relationships and communication with players. Um, so I highly encourage it. There are a lot of them. Um, the podcast, I listen to a ton of podcasts, like I said, I mean, baseball, whether it be ahead of the curve, you know, or, 
or the ABCA podcast or, or Sheets' podcast, you know, I try to listen to as many of those. I also um, listen to non-baseball ones. I mean, the Ed Milet show. I don't know if you've heard Ed Milet, but that guy just fires me up every time he speaks. And and it's more about, you know, personal um, stuff at times. I mean, he does. He is a former baseball player, so there's some baseball references in there. But Ed Milet's an amazing, uh, amazing, you know, podcaster, if you will, for the lack of a better term. So I listen to that. We also work with Brian Kane. So Brian Kane's um, stuff that he puts out, you know, like all of those things, the Daily Dominator and, you know, all of those things. We try to tie into our program. But me personally, I think all of those things just help, you know, motivate me each and every day. I mean, it's, you know, we always joke dominate the day, which is a Brian Kane thing. But in our Necton group, we talk about it. And that's what we want to do, you know, every day. How can we dominate today? How can we get 1% better today? And so whatever, whatever resource that is for a coach, I think that they need to have some of those because we just can't be stagnant. That's really, really good. Well, Borbs, I, man, I, I loved getting to learn from you today and I will, I'll link your contact info down below for the listeners uh, who are wanting to get in contact with you. And so you guys can find that below and, and uh, reach out to Borbs, uh, you know, at your convenience, whenever you're listening to this. But I did want to give you the opportunity to just speak to the coaches. You know, you mentioned that you're always trying to find a way to dominate the day. What can you know? What, if anything, do you have just just leave uh, with the coaches? You know, we talk about iron sharpens iron in the Bible all the time, and and I know that you helped me get better today. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Yeah, I mean, you know, simplify things, and really, it all comes down to how you treat people, and that includes. Everybody you're going to be involved with, you know, um, really be a good communicator and really invest in others. And I think that you really see the rewards um, in that, you know, invest in your players, invest the time into each and every one of them, because they're all going through so much and they're dealing with a lot more typically than we are. You know, and there's so many different pressures on kids nowadays with social media and the things that they have to deal with. You really got to get to know your players and develop those relationships to, to, you know, and and help them. Our goal is to our goal should be to to create men, you know, successful men and not to create baseball players. And, and I always say we're creating winners, but that doesn't mean winning on the field. It means creating winners that are going to win in life. And so. That's that's the ultimate focus. And if you can do that, you're going to be just amazed at how much more your players will give you and how much more you're able to achieve your goals as a coach, because they, uh, you know, they will run through walls for you as you build those relationships. And it's something that I'm always working on. We got to constantly work at building those relationships. But that's the biggest piece for me. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.